Well, good morning, Greenwich. It's Saturday, September 5th. It's great to welcome you uh, on this Saturday morning, um, Labor Day weekend, a long weekend. But more importantly for Greenwich, uh, tomorrow is the Sunday that we will open back up for in-person worship services. Two services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. The 9 a.m. will be live streamed. If you did not register for worship, if you have, you have gotten your confirmation. And we look forward to seeing you. Uh, we're going to send out a little reminder today just about kind of some check-in procedures. Um, but the 9 a.m. will be the live stream service. If you forget that and you tune in at 10, you'll just see the recording of what happened an hour earlier. Um, our morning psalm is Psalm 95, which I think will be, a portion of it will be somewhat familiar to you. And it seems appropriate uh, as we prepare to gather in person for worship. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. And that's Psalm 95. Starts out this beautiful call to worship, recalling God the Maker uh, in his hands. How does he say it? How does it say? In his hands are the depths of the earth, the mountain peaks belong to him, the sea is his, for he made it his hands form the dry land, so a beautiful poetic description of the creation. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And so, so worship is giving acknowledgement to God. And so there's this, this joyful invitation and call to worship. Let us come before him with music and song and thanksgiving. And then the, the, the psalm pivots. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then he recalls two incidents from the wilderness uh, experience of Israel. Having come out of Egypt, having seen God's power in the parting of the Red Sea and going out. And then they get out there and they start to quarrel and fight and we're thirsty and we're hungry. And uh, who's this Moses guy and all this stuff. And they hardened their hearts against the God who had saved them and delivered them. And so he said, okay, 40 years, you guys, you guys have to die off before we go into the promised land. We can't bring that bitterness, that hardness of heart, that unfaithfulness into this promised land. And so it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a stiff ending to this psalm, but this is the truth. Do not heart, if today if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. Follow that voice. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep follow me. They hear my voice and follow me. They will not follow another. 
too often we follow our own voice. See, that's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that we become a law unto ourselves. And so it even happens within the community, right? So Psalm 95, a good reminder, but this beautiful invitation, come let us bow down and worship. As we wrap up our Theology 401 uh, section and study on the church, uh, part six, we've been doing this uh, six days. I want to talk briefly about the church at worship. I know we have spoken about that a little bit already, the sacraments, the signs of the New Covenant community. But I just want to talk about worship, one, because we're going into worship in a new way. I mean, it's been six months, but... But trust me, it's going to feel a little different. For those who come tomorrow, it's going to feel different, okay? Worship is really derived, our word worship is derived from the old English worth-ship, to declare the worth, the worthiness of God. The same way an antique dealer would, might look at the, the, thing, the item you bring and they, they declare its worth, its value. So we gather and we are declaring the value, the worthiness of God our maker. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And so Psalm 95 is declaring the sea is his, the, the sky is his, the land is his. We are his. We belong to him. He is worthy of our worship. Um, we sometimes get confused in gathered worship who the audience is. We sometimes think the minister and the choir and others are performing for the congregation who is the audience. No. We are directing or guiding the actors, that is the congregation, are the players on stage. The audience is an audience of one. I think it was Soren Kierkegaard who uh, wrote about that uh, some probably a century ago or so. Um, the, the church worships before an audience of one. God is the audience. We are the actors and performers. And so I'm so like Lon conducts the choir, I, the, 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 myself, the liturgist, the, 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 the worship assistants, the pastors, we're the ones helping to shape uh, the action so that we can give an, uh, a good and, and glorious effort uh, of, of uh, directing our worship, our worthship uh, of our hearts and minds and souls to God, our gratitude to God. And so, and so that's what's happening there. And so I use that word, a liturgist, okay? And so liturgy is a word that literally means work of the people, the laos and the ergos, so the work of the people. And so a liturgical church tends to have a structured and, and a kind of very transparent order of service. And so Greenwich would be a liturgical church, okay? Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, um, Anglican, uh, etc., where there's a prayer book or a, a order of service where there's set prayers and the like. Those would be liturgical churches. And so the, the purpose of liturgy is to structure the effort, organize the effort of the group of people. Okay, so that it would go well, that, it, that we could give our worship to God. And, and so there's always some tension between the ardor, that is the, 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 the feelings of our heart, the warmth and, and intent and emotion of our heart versus order, uh, structure and spontaneity. Okay, and so some feel that the structure seems to kill the ardor, you know, because all I am doing is saying a 
set of words that is a written prayer on the bulletin and I'm saying it at the same time with a lot of people and that doesn't inspire my heart. And and maybe we feel that sometimes at Greenwich. I acknowledge that, but but these prayers have stood the test of time. The prayers that are in our bulletin are, are some of them centuries old prayers that have been written for the people of God and, and so they're time tested. And so there's ardor versus order, structure versus spontaneity. But the purpose of liturgy is to organize ourselves and to, sh- and to shape our, our, our uh, efforts for that hour or so that we're together so that we can uh, faithfully remember and retell and reenact the sacred story. Because that's what the church is doing, keeping the story of Jesus alive. <laughs> Every time we baptize, every time we break the bread and lift the cup, we are, we're reenacting, retelling the story of Jesus. And so we keep that alive. And so the liturgy helps us to do that. Okay? And so want to talk about that. Finally, doxological evangelism. Doxology is a, a, a word of praise, a word of glory. And so when the church gathers for worship, we're bearing witness. The church at worship is one of God's evangelistic means or methods. Okay, we think of evangelism as telling your neighbor about Jesus. It that's that's evangelism too. Evangelism is somebody standing up and proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. That's evangelism too. But the gathered church, praise God from whom all blessings flow, singing and praying and taking the bread and baptizing. The church gathered at worship before the audience of one bears witness to a watching world that there is an alternative reality. There's another kingdom. There's something else to this world and to this thing called life. And that's part of the evangelistic message. And then folks come in and they hear the proclamation of the gospel. They hear the gospel sung. They hear the prayers in the triune name of God. And and. and they are drawn in or witness is is born and so anyway kind of that's the church at worship let me just share a couple additional thoughts um all churches local i've mentioned that already this week kind of a tip to tip of the hat to tip o'neill that all politics is local all church is very local and because of that it's hard to keep the bigger story that we've been talking about the church is a covenant community the church uh, as the fulfillment of what God was doing with Abraham, the church as this racially, ethnically diverse entity, this Catholic, Catholic uh, expression, this universal expression. Right now, the church is Catholic. Right now, the church is racially diverse and unified because of our unity in Christ, though we gather in many different houses, in many different lands. Um, and so because of the local nature of church, it's hard to keep that story in view. And here's what I mean by church is local. It's so local that it gets localized even down to a pew. You walk into church and you're, you're greeted. So, so you always encounter a church for the first time, mostly in worship, right? And so you walk into a church for the very first time and you're looking around and is there somebody to greet me? Where do I go? Okay, you know, you're kind of a little tentative. Oh, there's somebody has got a bulletin, the warm smile. Okay, come into the sanctuary and then you sit down and what's the first thing you're probably thinking i hope i'm not sitting in somebody's seat because you know how you are because once you sit in one place that kind of becomes 
my place, where I sit. God has made us as creatures in space and time. And so, and so he placed Adam and Eve in the garden. We're made to dwell in space and place. And so we do tend to get a little territorial even within the, the sanctuary. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but that's how local the church is. And then you find the local nuances of an expression of church. Greenwich, we do things this way. Oh, my old church used to do it that way. Greenwich has these kind of committees and those kind of Sunday school classes and this kind of youth group and that kind of choir. And so there's a lot of nuance to the local expression of the church. And that's how most folks... That's how most folks experience and think about church in the local expression. And so it's hard to keep all of the stuff we've been talking about this week in view. That's why I've been leaning into it. I, I, I could tell you all about Greenwich, but you can figure that out. I want to keep this larger understanding of what the church is in front of you all. Uh, as part of that, remember, we are the church. Yes, we go to church but we are the church. And so let's, let's keep that distinction in mind. Even though we'll come to church tomorrow and be in the sanctuary again, some of us, we are the church wherever we are, okay? Church isn't just Sunday mornings at nine or 11. And so we are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the spirit. We are the household of God, no matter where we gather, when we gather, and even if we are not gathered, we are still the church, okay? So remember that. Uh, also, church is not a vendor. It's not a service provider. It's not here to meet my needs. This is something that kind of I've just observed over the years. The world certainly seems to understand the church that way, that the church is there to do these kind of things. And if they're not doing these kind of things, then let's, you know, who needs the church? But we slip into kind of a consumerist mentality and an individualistic mentality shaped by our culture. And so we sometimes talk about going church shopping. And that language, I get it, I understand it. I've had to do it myself when I was in seminary because um, I've always just kind of worked at the church. I came to faith, I went to a church in, in uh, college after my conversion, and then I work, I've worked at churches. So the only time I really ever got to choose a church was when I was in seminary for three years. And then even then I had to find a church to do my field uh, uh, ed uh, in. And so that was just a matter of finding a church that would take me in. Um, so I get the notion of church shopping, but the, the language reveals something. And we sometimes default to a consumerist mentality that says the church is here to meet my needs, to provide services for me. And if it no longer meets my needs, then I'm going to go find another church that does service me better. I get that. I recommend uh, churches in our community when I meet folks at Greenwich and, you know, visit after service with them a little bit and, you know, kind of get to know oh, we were looking, we were thinking, and I say, oh, you might want to try. And then I, I always encourage folks towards other churches that might be a better fit for them. So I get all that. But we have to be careful not to think of the church in these terms as a vendor providing services to meet our needs. That's not the church, okay? And so we need to work against that cultural impulse. And let me encourage you, whether it's at Greenwich or other church, uh, local church that you get connected to, hang in there through thick and thin. 
God is at work in that particular congregation too. Okay, hang in through thick and thin as best you can. I, I know that over time you have to get realigned, which leads to an unavoidable tension over denominational issues. Okay, we are a denominational church, Presbyterian Church USA. And this church, this denomination, has tilted in a more progressive, liberal, uh, theological expression. It has become more um, attentive and engaged in social action than evangelism over time. That's my, my experience. And, and there's some at Greenwich in particular for whom there is a feeling of guilt by association. They believe some things that, that I don't believe. They're, they're interpreting the Bible differently than I interpret the Bible. I don't like that. And, and so I understand that. So there's, so there's an unavoidable tension in any church, um, denominational or non-denominational. There's always going to be some tension the way you understand Scripture and maybe the way you hear it expressed by others. Okay, and so there's some tension there. I don't want to uh, um, pretend that away. Okay, um, we do lift up in the Presbyterian tradition. We talk about Jesus Christ alone as Lord of the conscience. So, so there's a freedom of conscience. You don't have to believe what somebody else believes down the road at Third Presbyterian. Okay, you don't have to believe that, but you are going to have to answer to God someday. <laughs> and so there's a freedom of conscience in this kind of horizontal expression, you don't have to believe everything I'm talking about the church or all this theology stuff for these last several weeks. I'm not saying you've got to believe it because Don said it. I want you to wrestle with these scriptures and be convinced and your conscience is convinced before God. And so uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. I can do no other. Here I stand. I mean, there's kind of, and so they kicked him out of the Roman Catholic Church because he wouldn't recant. His conscience was was held captive to the Lordship of Christ and shaped by these scriptures. And so I want that for you, okay? I want you to wrestle with the scriptures. You're not, you know, just because you believe the Bible says this doesn't make it true, right? We have to wrestle. You know, God alone is the, the, the one of truth. There's a tension between freedom of conscience and submission to authority. And so there, there is a structure of authority, right? And so there's pastors and there's elders and there's deacons and there's, there's a structure in our church, in our denomination. And so we are coming to church tomorrow, to the church building for worship, and we're structuring it this way. And that doesn't sit with everybody. I get that. We respect that. And so those are some tensions that we have. A freedom of conscience. Some are saying it's too soon to go back to church. Some are saying, why is it taking us so long at Greenwich? Some don't want to wear masks. Uh, others are like, I'm not going anywhere without a mask. All of this stuff is in play. And so that's just a, a genuine challenge and tension that we acknowledge within the Christian faith. And then finally, there is no perfect church. You know the old saying, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up because <laughs> you are not perfect. There is no perfect church, but Christ is perfecting the church. He is, he is sanctifying us. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit as we become more Christ-like. Collectively, we grow and mature in community as well. And I'm so thankful for Greenwich, the ways that we have you know, kind of uh, made our way through these last six months and the next six and six after that, you know, how long this pandemic goes on and 
you know, all of the challenges that are ahead of us. And so, anyway, I just want to lift that up. I acknowledge there are some tensions within the denomination, tensions within me. I differ with our denomination on some very key and significant issues. And, you know, we'll have to figure that out all, all out over time. But I wanted to acknowledge that. Finally, we can't talk about the church without talking about Jesus' heart and prayer for the unity of the church. If you read John chapter 17, they are the high priestly prayers, it's called. Just after the upper room discourse, Jesus prays that they may be one as the Father and the Son are one. I'm not praying for these only, not just as disciples, but all who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That they may be one. And so we ought not be dismissive of the unity of the church. Where there are differences among Christians, we acknowledge that, but the church is found wherever Jesus is proclaimed as the Christ, the Son of the living God. They, on this rock, I will build my church. Beyond that, there's going to be a lot of differences, whether we sprinkle children or dunk believers, uh, whether we say debts or trespasses, whether uh, we do the body and blood of Jesus this way or that way, um, whether we have women elders or uh, deacons or not. Um, whether you have elders leading the church or deacons leading the church or vestry members leading the church, whether you have bishops or elders or all kinds of differences within the church. Music, structure, length, preaching, version of the Bible. We are one in Christ. And so let me encourage you towards a high view of the unity of the church that that we are one with our African-American sisters and brothers and our, our Asian-American and, and Asian uh, believers. And so in China and Africa on every continent where Jesus Christ is, is loved and proclaimed and believed, there is the church. And all churches, all people can't gather in the same house. That's going to be in the Father's house. There are many rooms, right? And so I, I'm not going to you know, beat ourselves up over the fact that we don't have more ethnic expressions within the Greenwich church family. I welcome all, but the reality is, you know, we speak English and we sing this kind of music and we do things this way and that's just not going to work for everybody. And so I'm okay with that because I have this strong sense of the unity of the church. Let me wrap up there. Probably gone on a little longer than, than maybe need to on a Saturday morning. But I do invite you to, to reflect on this week's uh, studies, and I hope that's a helpful preparation, particularly as we prepare to gather and worship tomorrow, whether in person or online, that we are gathered uh, before an audience of one declaring his worth, and the structure uh, of our order of service is helping us to bear witness uh, to the living God. Well, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your church to each of us and to this world that you have left a community to bear witness, to celebrate, to invite. And we thank you for the ways in which your church, not only at Greenwich, but in the many, many places we have encountered your church, the ways you have nurtured, encouraged, touched, lifted, um, inspired, challenged us. And so may Greenwich continue to be a part of this larger, grander body of Christ in a way, this temple of the Spirit, this household of God that 
helps to lead people to faith uh, in Jesus Christ and to glorify you with all that we say and do. So sh show favor to us as we gather tomorrow, uh, both in the sanctuary and beyond the sanctuary through our live streaming. Lord, be pleased to dwell among us, full of grace and truth through your Holy Spirit. And we will give you the honor and praise in Jesus' name, even as he taught us to pray together now, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may you be blessed by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this day and forevermore. Amen.